jump in tonight. We're going to start in Romans chapter 1. Hold on one sec. All right. I've kind of been jumping off on this scripture for a couple of weeks, and we're going to start again there tonight. Romans 1.16, here's what it says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. It says, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from start to finish. Just as it is written, the, ju- the righteous or the just will live by faith. All right, I, I started kind of meditating on this scripture a while back because I, I really caught a hold of this idea that the gospel is not just a message. You know, a lot of times we think of the gospel as a message. It's the story of Jesus and his life and his ministry and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his ascension. And we, we think of it as the story or a message and we call it the gospel. But this scripture says that the gospel is the power of God. And that it's the power of God for a specific purpose, to bring salvation. So the gospel's apparently more than just a message. The gospel is actually power. And it's the power that brings, when we say salvation, it doesn't just mean forgiveness of sins and deliverance from hell. Okay? Salvation encompasses a reality that we experience right now. All right? And and whenever we think about it, sometimes it's just as, I mean, I know that's the way I was kind of taught it, is that, you know, when you believe the gospel, you are, you know, God forgives you. It's like right at that moment you're forgiven. The moment you believe is when you're forgiven. That's kind of how I was taught it. And then at that moment, your, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and now you are going to go to heaven instead of hell. And that was the kind of the way I was taught the gospel. And it, it's not necessarily that, you know, that's a wrong pr- portrayal of the gospel. It's that it's an incomplete and a very um, overall, uh, just a very small portion of what the gospel means. Uh, and so... When it says here that the gospel is power, I really know there's more here. And so I've been in this like I this place of meditating on this because I believe there's a key, there's there's I want to know the more. I want to know the power. I want to I want if it's the power of salvation, then there's something that the gospel holds that needs to be experienced more than maybe what we have in the past. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to take it, I'm going to go in the Amplified. Um, It says this, um, this is, Philippians chapter 3 is this, this, this chapter that describes Paul's journey and Paul's kind of discovery of what I believe was the gospel. Because, you know, the the gospel as we know it really is Paul's gospel. 
Um, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, but it wasn't really till Paul that we got a revelation of what happened on Calvary and this idea of being crucified with Christ and this, the new creation and really the whole idea of what it all meant, what the cross actually meant. And so Philippians chapter 3 is this, it's kind of a story of Paul's journey of coming away from having an identity apart from the gospel. Okay, because the gospel, it doesn't just, it's not just a message about our forgiveness of sins and a, a message about the afterlife, but the gospel has the power, let me tell you the first power it has, to redefine you. See, the gospel is what gives us definition as human beings. It gives us a definition of everything really related to our existence. It it tells us how much we're worth. We're worth the blood of the lamb. It tells us um, who we are uh, as sons of God, as new creations in Christ. It it defines us. The gospel defines us. And so Philippians chapter 3 is the story of Paul getting redefined. Can I say that? He's getting redefined. And he's going from kind of his earthly definition or his natural definition to his true spiritual definition. Because when you start reading Philippians chapter 3, starting in about... um, Verse 3, I'll just read it a little bit. It says, For we Christians are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and by the Spirit of God and exalt glory and pride ourselves in Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. And put no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh and on outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. Okay, so this is Paul saying that as believers, as followers of Christ, we glory and pride ourselves in Christ. And we no longer put confidence or depend upon who we are in the flesh or who we are as human beings. Are you following what I'm saying? So the an identity, it's kind of like what I was saying with Amy. We have no identity apart from Christ. The idea that we have an independent identity apart from Christ is a lie. Does that make sense? And that we are not to identify with that anymore. Now, now here, Paul starts to talk about who he was independent from Christ. Okay? In verse 4, he says, Though for myself... I have at least grounds to rely on the flesh. If any other man considers or seems to have reason to rely on this flesh and his physical and outward advantages, I still have more. Circumcised when I was eight days old, the race of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, the son of Hebrews, as to the observance of the law, I was a party of the Pharisees. As to my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church, and by the law's standard of righteousness, I was proven to be blameless, and no fault was found with me. But whatever former things I might have had that were gained to me, I have come to consider as one combined lost for Christ's sake. 
I'm going to stop here for a second. He's basically saying, these are all of the things that I had to identify with. I could identify, I was, you know, an Israelite, circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Pharisee. You know, I, have, I had this identity as being righteous according to the law. Now, I know we don't really relate to a lot of that because we don't live in a Jewish society. But you could take the things that we do identify with. All right, I am a Dartmouth grad. I am a, you know, I am a whatever, whatever your profession is. I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a firefighter, right? I'm a doctor. I'm, I'm a, a rancher. I'm, you know, you know, just these ideas that we have about our identity. I was born in the South. So I, I, I'm, I, that's part of my identity or uh, race or gender or sexual orientation at this point. You know what I mean? Like we, we have all of these labels and I mean, especially now, I mean, everybody's got a label now, you know, and a a group that we're identifying with, you know, I mean, politically I'm this, I'm that, you know, it's like all these identities. And Paul was saying, I count all of that, all of those external appearances, all of those outward advantages, all of these labels that I identified with, I count them as loss. And, I, and I'm taking on a new identity, which is Christ. He says, yes, furthermore, I count everything as loss compared to the possession of the priceless privilege. I'm going to read the Amplified because it really amplifies it well. The overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth, and the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more fully and clearly. It says, for his sake, I have lost everything and consider it to be mere rubbish in order that I may gain Christ the anointed one. Now, at first this sounds like, it's kind of interesting because it sounds a little less personal to me in, in a sense that it's like, it doesn't sound like he's getting a new identity. It sounds like he's just winning the opportunity to know Jesus, right? Like I'm letting go of all these things I identified with and I'm counting them like trash and dung and, you know, just totally worthless compared to this opportunity to know Jesus. And that's, that's partly what he's saying. But see, there's a way of knowing Jesus in our new identity that totally overshadows and replaces everything we were in our old identity. This isn't just about a knowledge of Jesus or, or getting to know Jesus. This is about being replaced by Jesus. You know, the gospel is a message, but I don't think we've taken far enough it, you know, we, we say the scripture, I'm crucified with Christ, but a lot of times that just feels like a theory. It feels like, what does that actually mean? Like, I'm, I'm crucified with Christ. Okay, I've even heard it said, you know, everything that separated me from God was crucified with Christ. But I want to take it to a step further today and just tell you that your old identity was crucified with Christ. Now, not only the nature of sin, that identity, that sin nature was crucified, 
right? But your old identification with an independent identity was crucified with Christ. You know, I say all the time that separation with God is an illusion, meaning that Christ is in you, the hope of glory, and that you are the temple, and the idea that you ever feel separated from him is an illusion. It's a lie. You are never separated from him, even when you feel like you're separated from him. You just, a feeling doesn't mean it's true. Just because you feel separate, you know, it, it just means you feel separate. It doesn't mean you are separated. And just because you believe that you have a, a separate, independent self apart from Christ doesn't mean you actually have a separate, independent self from Christ. <clears throat> and this process that Paul's going through is his revelation of this. In verse 9, it says, okay, he says, in, in the end of verse 8, he says, I count everything loss and consider it to be trash in order that I may gain Christ. And that I may actually be found, listen to this, and known as in him. Not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own. Based upon my own obedience to the law's demands. You could say based on my own performance. Okay, so that I don't have any kind of righteousness or any kind of self-esteem. Can we say that? Any kind of esteem for myself that is based on my performance, that is based upon me doing everything right and, and not doing things wrong. But I, he says, I want to be found and known as in him. I don't want there to be any righteousness. I don't want there to be any identity apart from him. He says, I don't want it based on my own obedience, but possessing the genuine righteousness, which comes through faith in Christ. Now, I'm going to just go to a couple of familiar scriptures. Galatians 2.20 is one of them. And that is the scripture I've been kind of referring to. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. And the Amplified, it says, in him, I have shared his crucifixion. And then he says, it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by, by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me couple of different translations. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I just want to sit here for a moment and just think about this. I've been crucified with Christ. I, I just want you to think about all of the ways that we live in our, even in our minds separated from God how much we have in our consciousness an idea that we are separate from God or that we are somehow independent from God. I mean, think about the ways that we even say things like we need to seek, you know, let's seek God. Well, you've been found by God. There's no seeking left to do. There's no... 
seek, you're going to seek what? Seek your own inner spirit. Because that's where God is. All the time, 24-7. If you're going to seek God, you're going to have to seek inside your own spirit because that's where he is. Right? And a lot of times we, we even think we're thinking independently. Like I was writing in my journal the other day, like, just this idea of like, me, you know, help me, Uh, you know, the prayer, help me. I was thinking about this prayer, help me. Well, even that prayer is a separate prayer. Help me as though I'm somehow separated from your help. I mean, I know it may sound like semantics, but it's a, it's a very, it's a very, as long as we believe we have an independent self, we will operate independently. And we'll be fighting with something that no longer exists. We'll even have, we'll struggle with things that don't even actually exist. They're just, it's a lie-based way of being, if that makes sense. Am I making sense tonight? Okay. Um, So let's go to another place. So let's go to this other kind of familiar scripture. And these are like basic scriptures in the gospel. I mean, these are some of the very first ones I think I ever learned, you know, but I don't know that I ever really learned them. It says here, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. In the King James, it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All right, you are an entirely new species of being, a new race, a new breed of, of, of human being. You are possessed by Jesus Christ. You are the temple of the living God. You have been born again, born from above, and you are no longer just human, right? Now, the only thing that keeps us operating as just humans is the fact that we don't really recognize that we are new creations or that we forget that we are new creations. And to me, this story, this message that we are new creations, that we are crucified with Jesus and that we are no longer even living, but Jesus is living in us, that Jesus has, has inhabited our house and that now he is living his life through us, that Jesus is on the planet right now because you're on the planet and he's experiencing life through you. That is the power to me of the gospel. The gospel is not just a story, it's... It's a reality. It's a reality. It's an identity. It's an identity. And I feel like the things that we learn from Jesus is what it means to live in union with God. When you look at the when you look at Jesus's ministry, he was a human being fully possessed by God. When he said the Father and I are one, he was an example. He was he was living the way that we as new creations have been born again to live. 
We have been born again to live in perfect union with the Trinity, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in us, it's the same Spirit that was living in Jesus. And he said, you know, when he gave this idea of like, you know, he is the vine, we are the branches. I mean, think about it. The branch doesn't have an identity apart from the vine. I mean, yes, it's a branch, but the source is the vine. I mean, the vine just provides the life and everything. The fruit comes through the branch, but the fruit is from the vine. The branch doesn't create the fruit. The vine creates the fruit. I mean, it's a picture of union. It's a picture of not having a separate identity. Now, the reason I'm kind of saying this is that because we've lived too independent, we've lived too separate in our minds, in our minds, we have, and that leads to all kinds of issues like, like Chris's bad day. Like Amy's, like our own, we have self-esteem issues. We have depression issues. We have anxiety issues. We have all of these issues when honestly your depressed self was crucified. Your anxious self has been crucified. These thoughts, these feelings, these things that we experience are coming from an unrenewed mind. They're coming from a place that doesn't in in reality even exist. Are, are, Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? And so there is an illusion that goes beyond just separation. Yes, we're never separated from God, but there's there's an illusion of independence. There's an illusion that we have a self apart from Christ and that it's our self relating to it. Now, does that mean that like, I mean, there is a mystery component in this. It's kind of like, I mean, I know when we look at, we don't look, we have to really dissect the vine to really think about where's the branch and where's the vine, you know? You got to dissect it. And rather than saying, oh, look, there's a vine. You know, you really have to try to dissect it to find the separate pieces. And it, with the Trinity, I mean, there's three and there's one. Even, even the pictures of our, we're the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. I mean, yes, is the body not the head? And is the head, bot, you know, the, the head not the body? Yes, but it's still a person. Again, are they separate? But I mean, the body doesn't do anything without the head, and the head doesn't do anything. And, and, and it's it's a it's a living organism. It's a it's a symbiotic, seamless thing. It's a seamless thing. The body isn't acting independent from the head, and the head isn't acting independent from the body. The other picture we have is the bride of Christ. Well, even in Genesis, it talks about the two shall become one. That marriage is a picture of oneness. I mean, is it a mystery? Yeah, the mystery that's been hid from the ages, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yes, there's a mysterious component of it, meaning do we get it logically, wrap our head around it? No, but I'm telling you, there is a deeper place of crucifixion. There's a deeper place of of abiding. There's a place where where all self-concepts of independence are swallowed up by union. And... In that place where union becomes your consciousness is the place where the power of the gospel is experienced. In that place where your consciousness becomes filled with union is where the power of the gospel manifests. Are you following what I'm saying here? And so Jesus, I was talking about Jesus and how you know, Philip, Philip didn't get it. He's like, just show us the father. And Jesus is like, how long must I be with you, Philip? Do you not understand it yet? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. But you know, we would never think to say, Rachel, if you've seen me, 
you've seen Jesus. You know, or if you've seen Shalice, you've seen the, we'd almost think like that's blasphemy. Well, that's exactly what Jesus was accused of. Is he was accused of blasphemy because he was identifying with, as one with his father. But the gospel is a message of everything that you were <laughs> that was not like God being killed. It is not a, it is not a self-help program. It's not a, it's not a you get better program. It's that a you die program. You know, I was thinking about this the other day about just, just responding a lot of times to the thoughts and the things that we struggle with is just saying, well, say, wait a second, that is a crucified, that, that's crucified. You know, the person that would have felt anxious is crucified. The person that would have felt depressed, you know, that, that, that depression is, the depressed self is crucified. That is, I'm not going to identify with that anymore. I'm not going to identify with that version of myself anymore. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to identify with, and we do this to a degree, like with healing sometimes. You know, we're like, I'm not going to identify with that sick person. By his stripes, I'm healed. I, I'm, you know, but it's, 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 it's a whole other place. I really believe this with all my heart to come into this concept where there, you don't exist apart from him. And so there's place after place. You know, I was just reading out of John 14 where Jesus was saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, and I've taught on this before, but John 14 is a powerful scripture because he's not only saying, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, in verse 10 he says this to Philip. Do you not believe that I am in the Father? And the Father is in me. What I am telling you, I don't say on my own authority or of my own accord. But the Father who lives continually in me does the work. He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the very works themselves. And then, see, then it starts to take, I'm going to read it in a different, different um, translation. Then it really starts to make sense, the scripture that we've heard over and over again, about that we'll do the same works as Jesus and even greater works. Um, because here he says, believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Sorry, I'm just looking at a different translation here. Or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. And even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Now, this scripture doesn't make sense except in light of the gospel. See, because Jesus was going to be going to the Father... He was going to be sending the Holy Spirit, right? And the same relationship that Jesus had with the Father was going to be the same relationship that these disciples were going to have with the Father, that we were going to have with the Father. And so therefore, we could do the same works that Jesus did. Does that make sense? And then it says here, you can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Ask anything in my name and I will do it. 
You know, those scriptures, I don't think we've really believed them. You know, we've quoted them, but I mean, these are powerful scriptures. Ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Right? And then he starts talking about this coming of the Holy Spirit. And he, and he says in verse 15, if you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now. But listen here, and later will be in you. Now, sometimes I think we've, we've heard, I think sometimes we've lived with the Holy Spirit in us for so long, it's become familiar. And it's almost like we haven't really realized what's in us. <laughs> it's almost like we, we, we live with ourselves. And so we think, okay, I'm just living with myself and the Holy Spirit's living in me, but we don't really, ad- I mean, when we really come to terms with, wait a second, this is, this is God almighty living inside of me. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the one that was brooding over the waters. This is the one that absolutely brought Jesus out of the grave. I mean, this is the same Holy Spirit that performed every miracle in Jesus' ministry. This is the same Holy Spirit that, you know, opened the prison doors in the midnight hour, for, has, frankly, has performed every miracle in the Bible. This is that. This is, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is the Holy Spirit that's been poured into us. And this is Jesus talking about that. And he says... Later he will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you will also live. Now this, this language is gospel language. I mean, they were alive when he was saying this. But he's not talking about physical life. He's saying... I would, since I will live, you will live also. And he says, when I am raised to life again, talking about after the resurrection, you will know that I am in my father, but he doesn't stop there. And you are in me and I am in you. I mean, this is revolutionary. This is a revolutionary identity. This is you and I being grafted into the Trinitarian life. This is now us becoming a part of the Godhead. I mean, this changes everything. But too often, we are still identifying with a version of ourselves that doesn't even exist anymore. It's a version of ourselves that was crucified with Christ. The the version that, that did not exist in union with God has been crucified. The version of ourselves that wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit was crucified. You know, in Romans chapter 6 and 7 and 8, Paul starts going through this idea. You know, first in Romans 6, he's, it's kind of saying, well, okay, it's kind of this idea. If I no longer have a sin nature, if I no longer have this old creature, this old creation, if I really was crucified, why am I still living like an old creation? Why am I still sinning? I mean, what, what, you know, what is going on with me? Why am I still living like an old man if I'm a new man? 
right? And the reason that we still live like an old man rather than a new man is because we don't know who we are as a new man yet. And so we have this unrenewed mind that still identifies with ourselves as a sinner's. And we, we identify with our performance and our behavior <clears throat> rather than the gospel. And so we think our behavior determines who we are rather than the gospel determining who we are. And the moment that you believe that you are who God says you are, and I mean you experience it, you, you, are, you are this new creation. You will act like what you believe. You will become what you believe. Matter of fact, there's one of my favorite scriptures, um, the translations of it, uh, that actually says that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it up for you one moment. I really like this version. Yeah, it's, it's kind of believing it into existence. It's a scripture in, um, Matthew 29, verse 30. And this was when, the blind man came to Jesus wanting to receive their sight. And then here's what Jesus said to them. He says, do you really believe that I can do this? And they said, yes, master. He touched their eyes and said, become what you believe. It says that in the message translation, become what you believe. And I I believe we already have become what we believe. I believe, I mean, truthfully, I mean, every every issue that we have in our lives is a function of what we believe. And when we believe the gospel, I mean, that's why Jesus said, repent, believe the gospel, repent. And repent is just a simple, I mean, it's not simple necessarily all the time, but it it is literally a changing of our mindset. It is a changing of what we believe. It is a changing of what we believe. And so in John 14, Jesus is, is saying in that day, after I have risen from the grave, in that day, you are going to know that the Father and I are one, but you're also going to know that the Father is in you, that, that you are in me and that I am in you. And I, I really believe with all my heart, this is something, I mean, I have been just keeping my mind on the gospel. And just reading it and hearing it and studying it because the con- this becoming conscious of this and what I mean by that is is having a renewed mind where this becomes a way of being, not just a message we hear, but a way that we exist. I, I believe that that is not only possible, I believe that that's actual Christianity. I believe everything else is just religion. I believe like we're, like we're going through a bunch of motions, independent, trying to be something we already are. And, and this gospel not only must be preached, it must be experienced. We need to experience the power of the gospel that brings salvation, that saves us from what? From ourselves. Honestly, that's what the gospel brings us salvation from. It brings us salvation from ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I'm exhausting. I mean, it's exhausting living in that constant place of self. 
self, a self, you know, and that's, Jesus is a selfless, self-other. He's, he's other outward focused, not inward focused, not self-interest focused. It's not, it's not, it's an other, it's an otherness that comes out of that. And so I really believe the fruit of that is deliverance from ourselves. And I think ultimately, <clears throat> that's what happened at the fall. I feel like Adam and Eve, they, they, what happened at the fall is we became self-absorbed. You know, they knew they were naked, hiding from the presence of God. They knew, you, you know, I mean, it, it becomes this self-focused, self-aware, so self-aware instead of Jesus-aware. Which is kind of like we were saying with communion tonight. That you're his body. Like the idea that you're, you've got a body apart from him. You know, so it's just beginning to crucify all of those separate ideas. Those separate thoughts. Those, that separate identity. And I know for the enemy, this is what he tests. <clears throat> it's always, do you know who you are? You know, if you are the son of God. Well, it's this, you know, the same for us. Do you know who you are? And he comes after that. I mean, whether it's symptoms in our body, whether it's symptoms in our bank accounts, whether it's symptoms in our relationships, do you know who you are? And when we act out of an identity that is, a, that is separate from the Lord, it's, it's, it's just proof that we haven't yet figured it out. You know, we just haven't, it's not yet established in us. We haven't gotten a root in ourselves yet. And so I just want to encourage you guys tonight just to stay with this, stay in this place. I mean, you know, I, I meditated on one scripture for a year and it's almost like I need to, you just go back to the simplicity that is in Christ. The very simple gospel message that you are one with God and that you do not have a, a identity apart from him. And that the, most of the things that we struggled with were actually killed on, on Calvary. They were, de- they're, they're dead. We are fighting things that are dead. And the only reason they're alive is because we're fighting them. Does that make sense? They're alive in our minds. They're alive in our, they're alive because we've made them alive. It's kind of like the same thing I say all the time is that the the enemy doesn't have any authority except what we give him. But when you give him authority, guess what? He actually has authority because he took yours. And it's the same thing with these other dead things that we're fighting. I mean, they don't have, they're dead. They're actually dead. But we are, I mean, I, 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 there is a place. I know with all of my heart there is a place where the power of the gospel brings the manifestation of the gospel. And so I've just been, I personally... I'm not getting off of it. You know, I, I feel like there's a, another level here. You know, I, I, I've been meditating on oneness with God for many, many years. And the idea that separation is an illusion. But this idea of independence from God being an illusion is just a whole nother level. It's, it's this idea that you have an identity that you would even have a relationship with. A positive relationship or a negative relationship for that matter. Low self-esteem or high self-esteem? I mean, what would, why would you esteem anything that's dead? 
It's the same as Apostle Paul. I was an Israelite. I was this. I was this. I mean, I had this identity. And the bottom line is none of that is who you are. You are a new creation. And you cannot be defined apart from Christ. You cannot be defined apart from the vine. You are a branch in a vine. You are a body who has a head. You are the wife of God. And that is your identity. And you cannot be defined apart from him. To define yourself apart from him is to wrongly define yourself. And that independentness has got to go. (laughs) Not just the idea that we're one with him, but the idea that there's any part of you that can be separate from him. I mean, I don't think the whole, yes, there's three and one, but I don't think the one exists without the three. The, they are one. The three make one. I don't understand how the three make one, kind of like our body, soul, and spirit make us. You couldn't have our, you know, I mean, there's, I don't, it's a mystery, yes. But we've got this, this idea of independence, that there's a self that you have a relationship with that is apart from God, that you esteem or disesteem. That you feel good about one day, you don't like the next day. That you have a relationship with that is a roller coaster ride. It needs to stop. Because you don't, that, that, that self, that self was the one that was crucified. That independent self was what was nailed to the cross. And I don't know how to say it. I, mean, I kind of feel like I'm saying the same thing 20 different ways. But Holy Spirit's going to make it plain to you in the language you understand. Because our inner life, our inner life should be a life of worship. It should be a life of peace. It should be a, it should be a Christ-conscious life. Not self-conscious, Christ-conscious. You know, just, just, just totally conscious of our, our, our union with God. I mean, I know the other day I was just sitting outside and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, like, How do you know what thoughts are mine versus his? Like our thoughts, we're thinking together. You know, and and you just, it becomes this place of union. Yeah, that, that you're conscious of. And a place where that, that self that you don't like, that self that you're upset with because it didn't perform correctly, that self that sinned, that self, you know, just it's, you, you realize that your body, it's a, like a shadow. It's a shadow that no longer truly exists. It exists because you believe it does. Does that make sense? All right. Well, Father, I, I, I just pray that you'll continue to unpack this for people and make it more clear that you will divide what needs to be divided and connect the dots and make it clear for people. And Father, for people that have been struggling with self-esteem, that have been struggling with, I mean, even self-hatred. I mean, the, 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 the hate, the self you hate is dead. <laughs> the, that whole idea of not liking themselves. Well, that, that, that person you don't like is dead. And so, Father, we just, I just release healing to people that have been struggling with that. 
the de- depression, Father, so much of that is just you're just beating yourself up, and the person you're beating up is dead. And so I just come against that whole idea, that just place of separation in their minds. And, Father, I just release the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. And I declare the eyes of our understanding, are in, is in, are, they're enlightened. And we know the hope of our calling, which is oneness with you. And, Father, we just, I just pray you'll continue to unpack this whew, and just make it real, experientially real for every single person that's here tonight, that's listening to the podcast. Father, I pray that this would become a reality, a consciousness in their lives. Lead them to, to, to teachings, to, to scriptures, Father, to books. Just continue to unpack the gospel for them, Father. And the reality of what it means to be a new creation. The reality of what it means to be crucified with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.